Crime Scenes and Cupcakes is a true crime investigative podcast. We discuss cases regarding the assault, murder, sexual assault, or cases involving the abuse or abduction of adults or children. These topics can be very disturbing and a trigger to many individuals, so please listen accordingly. If you or someone you know is struggling or in crisis, help is available. You can text, call, or chat 988. This is available 24-7. It is also available in multiple languages for anyone who needs mental health related or suicide crisis support. It can connect you with trained crisis counselors. Also, if you are in Wichita, there is a local crisis center. Call 316-660-7500. Do you have to throw on your favorite true crime podcast before bed in order to fall asleep? Same. And it's the very reason that I created Serial Napper. My name is Nikki Young, and I'm here to lull you to sleep or perhaps to give you nightmares with some of the craziest true crime stories that you've never heard of. Each episode of Serial Napper features a different true crime story told succinctly the way that it happened. Just the facts, ma'am. My focus is on unsolved crimes that need more attention, cold cases, and wrongful convictions. While true crime shows can sometimes be graphic in nature, I ensure that the story is told in a way that is respectful to the victims and their families. Now when it's time for bed, you can look forward to 30 minutes of well-researched and detailed case files while you get your beauty sleep. Find Serial Napper on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Sweet dreams. Hey guys, it's Marianne, dog mom, baker, true crime podcast maker, and we are returning today with another unsolved case. Today's podcast is another listener recommendation, but this person is more than just a listener. This person is an incredible advocate and a dear friend. This person is the reason that I found Uncovered.com. They are the ones that have been actively helping me investigate Krista Martin's case. They also helped put Krista Martin's case on Uncovered.com. You might be familiar with their family member's case. If you have ever heard of the case of Katherine Katrina Mowry, her name is Katrina Marshall. Now, we cover Katherine Katrina Mowry's case on one of our podcasts. And if you haven't already listened to that podcast, I really recommend you go back and listen to it. At the beginning of that podcast, Katrina reads a poem that her mother had written to her aunt who had lost her life, and it is so incredibly moving. If you aren't familiar with the case, on June 25th, 1985, the manager of the Casa Apartments on 200 South Marseille Avenue 
was walking by, uh, an, a resident was walking by an alleyway when she noticed a really strong odor coming from a 1978 Ford LTD that was parked nearby. They contacted the Dallas Police Department and when the officers arrived, they also smelt that smell. And y'all know what that smell is we're talking about. They opened the trunk and they found a woman wrapped up like a burrito. Now, when officers first investigated the case, they handled the case really poorly. And that's not what this podcast is about today. But if you don't follow Katrina Marshall, she is on Twitter. She advocates a lot about other cases and her aunt's case. There is a petition, and we're going to have all of these included with today's podcast. But please check out her aunt's case. Please look at that stuff. Katrina has been working so hard, and I have been trying to get her to come on a podcast and talk about what she's done. Because if there is somebody who understands the right way of how to research, advocate, and work hard on a case, it's Katrina. Sequent conversations with Katrina, I was moved not just by her aunt's case, but by just a lot of things that have happened with another aunt she has had and with her own mother. Katrina has been through a lot. Her family has been through a lot. She was born a little seasoned detective at birth. I mean, her mom raised her in a courtroom on how to investigate cold cases. So she's a really cool individual. She messaged me and said, hey, could you cover this case? I mean, it's a cold case and I'm just really curious about it. It's like, well, hell yeah, I'll do anything for you. Listening, if you are subscribed to Crime Scene and Cupcakes, you may have noticed there was quite a few new podcasts that keep popping up. Um, I know we haven't been real consistent, but there are quite a few listeners who have been messaging me saying, hey, you know, I, I'm really curious about this case. Could you cover this case? And rather than waiting for our regular, our regular podcasts come out on Sundays. We do have some information that's going to be coming out about the Krista Martin case. But right now, and we're going to get into the whys, but right now I'm kind of recording podcasts on the go. And while I'm kind of recording it on the go, I, I have this time period and I'm utilizing it to really communicate with my listeners. So please, Spotify has, if you listen on Spotify, it has a wonderful interactive. I look at those answers to the questions. I look at when you guys communicate with me. So please, if you have a recommendation, if you have anything, if you want me to cover something outside of Kansas, again, we are an investigative podcast. I do more than just look at the basic articles. I will re reach out to investigators. I will reach out to anybody and everybody. If you have something you're curious about, want more information, shoot me a message. Uh, DM me, do whatever. I will follow up. Anybody who knows me, you know I don't leave a single message unanswered. And um, it is, like I said before, it when they are some of these cold cases, 
Some of them are easy for me to have a quick turnaround on a podcast because of Uncovered.com. Uncovered.com is an amazing resource for cold cases. And so if it has a lot of information on that site and it has some great resources for me to go to, it is a lot easier for me to turn around and come back to it. So if you are another podcaster or a true crime researcher, I cannot recommend Uncovered.com as an amazing database to you for enough. If you are a law enforcement investigator, it can bring you in contact with a lot of amazing other research tools. They're incredible. I can't talk about them enough. As you guys might be aware, it's springtime. It's a time for warmer weather, sundresses, shorts, playing outside. Trust me, this is not just banter. I'm going somewhere with this. And all of that great stuff, but it's also a great time for cadaver dog searches. You don't have to wait for somebody to actively go missing. We have people missing from years ago. We had a, some remains that were just found in Harvey County, Kansas, that turned out to be a missing woman from two years ago. So about this time of year, it is the best time to get our dogs out and we just start conducting random searches along just about everywhere. There have been four um, remains that have been found across Kansas. Now, I recommend if you are somebody who is interested, of course, in being a help and you are somebody who's like, wow, you know, I've always wondered what's happened to this person in this case. This person has been missing. And you do enjoy hiking, searching, whatever. And you are somebody, please contact your missing persons groups. You guys can always, every weekend, every time off, especially when the weather gets warmer, you get the runoff, you get those types of things. Contact your cadaver dog groups and you can start amassing those searches. You do not have to wait for a certain law enforcement group to take a search on. You guys can create those and get those going. If you need guidance, if you need help on how to get those started, if it's something you're curious about, please contact me. I can help you kind of get to the right persons and the right groups to get you started. It is so important to just be out there, to be aware, and it is amazing that you can possibly help bring people home. So please send us your recommendations for other unsolved cases, solved cases, questions you might have about cadaver dogs, or searches for missing persons. But today, we're not here to talk about any of those other things. Today, we are here to talk about one case. In this case is missing Lisa Irwin. Now, Lisa Irwin was only 10 months old when she disappeared without a trace from her home in Kansas City, Missouri. I almost said Kansas City, Kansas. See, this is where it always gets crazy. I get so frustrated. We have Kansas City, Missouri, Kansas City, Kansas. It's really hard to walk that line. Okay, back to the topic at hand. Lisa Irwin was only 10 months old when she disappeared without a trace from her home 
in Kansas City, Missouri in 2011. And despite her horrific story making national headlines, I mean, police frantically searched for her, FBI, everybody was out there, the Missouri uh, local Bureau of Investigation, everybody was looking for her. Everybody dubbed her as Baby Lisa. It has been more than a decade, and still there has been no signs of her. Now, Lisa Renee Irwin, as I said, she was born in Kansas City, Missouri. She was born on November 11, 2010, to Jeremy Irwin and Deborah Bradley. Now, all descriptions was that she was a sweet and happy baby with big blue eyes. And she also had five and eight-year-old brothers. And then randomly, just out of the blue, one night, just weeks before her first birthday, Lisa Irwin disappears. Just October 3rd, 2011, in Kansas City, Missouri, Jeremy had spent the majority of the day working as an electrician. He arrives home around 2.30 p.m. A few hours later, around 4.30 p.m., Debbie decides to go to a local grocery store along with her brother, Philip, to pick up a few things. Jeremy stays home with the two boys and baby Lisa while they're out. Debbie and Philip would be seen on the grocery store's security camera picking up a few groceries, diapers, formula, and a box of wine. Now this box of wine becomes a very controversial piece of media. They return back to the home around half an hour later. And Philip Philip goes back home while Jeremy gets ready for his evening job. He would be working late into the evening wiring the electricity at a Starbucks and wasn't sure what time he would be home. Either way, Debbie decided it might be nice to have some company that evening while her husband is at work. So she invites her next door neighbor over along with her four-year-old daughter for a play date and so the moms can have a few glasses of wine. Unfortunately, it would be revealed that Debbie had more than a few glasses. Her recollection from that evening would get pretty fuzzy. Debbie said that she puts Lisa to bed in her crib at around 6.40 p.m. And the two women sit outside on the front step, chatting and drinking until about 10.30 p.m. that evening. When the neighbor and her daughter decide it's time to put everybody to bed and head home. By this time, Debbie and had had about five to ten glasses of wine. Which, of course, that's, that's, that's a big gap. Five, ten, that's a lot of wine. And that's a huge difference in numbers. But again, all of this is according to Debbie, and she was pretty intoxicated. So once the neighbor leaves, Debbie is crawling into her bed with her youngest little boy, and she falls asleep. Now around 3.45 a.m., Jeremy comes home from work. Now, his shift had gone on longer than he had previously anticipated. He gets ready, 
after he gets home and he's like friggin' exhausted. As you know, you just want to get home. You just want to go to bed, put this day behind you, get the day off of you. I mean, flip, it's the next day already. But that's when he notices a few things seem pretty unusual when he walks in the door. For example, the front door is unlocked. Debbie usually makes sure it's locked if she's home alone with the kids. That's a red flag. Also, all the lights are still on on the house. Even though it's middle of the night, middle of the morning, whichever you want to call it, that's red flag number two. It was as if somebody had just forgotten everything. You know, what the hell's going on? Did something happen? I mean, I would definitely have my radar on. He's walking through the home, turning off the lights, and that's when he notices the window was open in the computer room. When he tried to shut it, it wouldn't close. The latch appeared to be broken. So Jeremy, he peeks into the boy's bedroom, and he sees that the older child is asleep on the top bunk, but the younger little boy, he's not there. Okay, you're going to go into freak-out mode. I know if one of my kids is not where they're supposed to be when I come, especially with what I did for a living, oh, holy hell, I was on high radar. So he walks into the master bedroom and he finds them asleep next to Debbie. <sighs> Big sigh of relief. Now, there was a stray cat that Jeremy didn't recognize laying on the end of the bed, which is just weird. And it reminds me of all of those TikToks of, or I think it's even like a progressive or state farm commercial of, so we just have a cat now. And I absolutely love that commercial. But Debbie would later say that she decided to bring the stray cat she had found outside earlier into the home. And I got to tell you, I am calling bullshit on that. I think she just left shit on and left shit open and the cat came in the house. Again, refer to that commercial if you haven't seen it yet. It is a good commercial. Then Jeremy, he decides to peek into Lisa's room to make sure she was sleeping soundly. But that's when he gets the shock of his life and their lives go off the rails. Lisa, who is only 10 months old, which the likelihood of her just crawling out of her crib and saying, deuce it, I'm out of here. But what other explanation could there be? She's gone. Jeremy, he runs back to Debbie's room to wake her up and to tell her Lisa was not in her crib. So the two of them begin frantically searching the house for her and they call 911. That's when they discover the three cell phones that they had in the house, which is interesting to me, three cell phones, two adults, but I don't know, maybe they got one for the kids, which I, I, I don't know. Um, now they feared someone had broken in and taken Lisa along with their cell phones and he had just gotten home. So again, that's where the little LEO alarm in my head is going I, I, my brain is wanting to call Patrick right now for not adding up because so far this story is not adding up to me. So they use the house phone to call 911 and report their baby missing. 
police showed up at the home to take down a report with all the details so that they could very quickly get an Amber Alert out. Both parents were fully cooperating with the police, allowing them to search the home and providing as much information as they could. And initially, this appears to be a clear-cut kidnapping with the unlocked door and the broken window in the computer room. But things begin to get a little complicated a little later on. Like I said, Debbie initially, she told the police she had checked on Lisa around 10.30 p.m. that night before going to bed herself. And I want to say something here. There is absolutely nothing you can do. If your child goes missing, no matter, I don't care if you were getting high at the time, be honest with the police because your number one priority needs to be to get your child back. They are not going to fucking just, okay, we're going to arrest you right now. Their number one job is to get your child back. They all have kids themselves, most of them. They just want to get the kid back. Their most important crime is the one they're going to deal with at that moment. Everything else they'll deal with later. And if you truly love your child as much as you say, your number one priority shouldn't be to save your own ass. It needs to be to save your child. So they figure out she didn't fucking check her kid at 10.30 p.m. The last time she had physically seen Lisa with her own eyes was around 6.40 p.m. in the evening when she put her in her crib. This would leave a very large gap where something could have happened. And Debbie was so intoxicated. She had likely blacked out. It's a huge window of opportunity for someone to potentially break in and take her. The following day on October 5th, the Amber Alert is turned off, which that's pretty strange. The word on the street is that the police are looking closely at the parents, and this is mostly due to inconsistencies in their stories. So again, if you'd just been honest, they'd be out there looking in other directions and not looking at you. So if you didn't do it, they wouldn't be farting around. Debbie was brought in to take a polygraph test and it's still unclear whether she passed or failed because they're not making that public. Now, according to Debbie, police told her that she had failed the test, but that they only said that to get her to give a false confession. And it's around this time that the police say the parents have stopped cooperating with the investigation. But Debbie and Jenny, oh, excuse me, Debbie and Jeremy continue to give media interviews declaring their innocence and pleading for the safe return of their baby girl. But news is spreading pretty quickly of Lisa's disappearance with photos of her tiny little face being distributed everywhere. America is falling in love with little baby Lisa. And while investigators have been carrying out this massive search, I mean, dogs, horses, I'm FBI, everybody is looking everywhere. They've been looking at homes, wells, landfills. I mean, they are looking everywhere. One witness reports seeing a man in the area walking with a baby, and the baby 
wasn't really dressed. Now, this happened around 4 a.m. that morning. So, right around the time Jeremy would have been getting home from work. This happened at an intersection around three miles from the Irwin home. Now, reportedly, the man was wearing a t-shirt and the baby didn't have on a coat or anything. And it was pretty cold out that night. So, and another report was from a couple that lived in the same neighborhood. They also saw this man walking down the road in a t-shirt carrying a baby and they thought it was strange that so they they like called it in and were like what the fuck this is messed up the couple said it didn't look like the baby was wearing anything other than a diaper and debbie reported that lisa went down in her crib wearing purple shorts and a purple t-shirt so she had clothes on but that doesn't mean that whoever took her hadn't done anything with her clothes to maybe throw off identification really scary. It's discovered that the morning Lisa disappeared, there was a dumpster fire near the family home around 2.30 in the morning. Reportedly, the dumpster contained burnt clothes, possibly baby clothing. Match up with the eyewitness statements. Although it is strange for a man to kidnap a baby, burn their clothing in a dumpster fire, and then stay in the neighborhood long enough to be spotted by several people. Strange, but weird ass shit happens. Trust me, I have seen some crazy ass shit. I worked down in Florida and let me tell you, I saw some crazy fucking shit. Now, police did identify a man that matched the description and things kind of start lining up here. There was a man named John Jersey Joe Tanko. That was a handyman who worked in the neighborhood where Lisa lived. He had a criminal record and physically matched the description of this mystery man in the t-shirt. But, of course, that wasn't enough to connect him with the abduction of a baby. However, there was a phone call placed to his girlfriend, Megan Wright, that came from one of the cell phones reported missing from the Irwin home. Okay, following? We're getting this? And, yeah. We're getting like a lot of this, a lot of this really cool stuff is coming from uh, Newsbreak. If you don't check that out, there are some really cool stuff. Um, Serial Napper uh, is a great person who does a lot of great stories. If you haven't ever checked her out, she is on Twitter and does a lot of great information and covers a lot of great cases. He had the criminal record. He physically matches the description of the mystery man in the t-shirt with the abduction of the baby. However, there was a phone call placed to his girlfriend, Megan Wright, that came from one of the cell phones reported missing from the Irwin phone. Hmm. This is getting kind of interesting, right? So this would make you wonder if she received a phone call from one of the missing Irwin's cell phones, did that mean John Tanko had stolen the phone? So if you stole the phone, you more than likely would steal the baby, right? Now, Megan would say that many people had access to her cell phone and that she doesn't recall ever receiving a call from that number. That's where things get kind of weird for me. Okay, you can say all you want, but... Physical evidence does way a hell of a lot more than what any friggin' person could tell me. Whatever. 
John Tanko is brought in. He's interviewed. His photo is in a lineup of other photos to be presented to the eyewitnesses who reported the random t-shirt man with the baby. And one witness picks him as the guy, but the others don't. But we all know what you say about eyewitness testimony. Eyewitness testimony is worthless. So I don't know why anybody ever goes with this. I, I mean, I've worked this in 20 years. Eyewitness testimony, CCTV, cams, all of that was worth way more than any eyewitness testimony. I do not trust eyewitness testimony to anything. But nonetheless, he is never linked up that we know of. But again, guys, you have no idea what law enforcement is doing behind the scenes. So if anybody thinks law enforcement has dropped this case, if anyone thinks the FBI is doing nothing, you're wrong. Now, on October 19th, a couple of weeks after Lisa goes missing, a search warrant is executed on their home, on the family home. Police go in and they collect every piece of imaginable evidence. And they also bring in one of my favorite pieces of evidence to look for evidence, and that is a human remains detection dog. And that dog positively alerts to the scent in the nearby master bedroom. Now, what's really odd to me is they don't collect anything from there and they end up saying that it could be a false alert. And that is one thing that has always frustrated me and I'll just get into that another time. Now, in the end, police would take six small items from the home for further examination, including a multicolored comforter, purple shorts, a small Disney character shirt, a glowworm toy, a Cars-themed blanket, rolls of tape, and a tape dispenser. Now, while the police maintained that neither Jeremy nor Debbie were suspects, media is all over them, and everybody's speculating. There's all of this talk. I mean, there is just all of this stuff going on. One of her friends is completely throwing her under the bus, saying she has a dark side and doing all of that. So there's just all sorts of horrible stuff going on. But of course, not everyone is looking at the parents as a culprit. Some of the other people are saying, nope, they would never do anything to harm their baby. So it's coming from both sides. And there are all sorts of crazy theories out there. Now, an anonymous benefactor, they even posted a $100,000 reward for the safe return of baby Lisa or information leading to a conviction for whoever took her. That reward still stands to this day. Now, in 2013, there was, of course, the theory that there was a young girl in Greece who was found after being abducted. She was a little blonde hair, blue-eyed little girl. She shared some similar features like having blonde hair and blue eyes, but the DNA test would show that she was of Bulgarian Roma descent and she wasn't baby Lisa. Now, this has kind of happened throughout the years. So many have tried to connect these little girls to possibly being, you know, one of these missing 
you know, cases, you know, like we've had the Madeline McCann and she was not Madeline McCann. And it's such a sad situation. Now, it's been years since baby Lisa Irwin disappeared from her crib while she slept. She still has not been found. Her parents continue to believe that she was taken from her home that night, possibly as part of an illegal adoption scheme. Now, one of the positives here is that in the last 12 years, technology, social media, all of that has come, an, come a long way. If Lisa was taken and adopted out, it is very possible that she could be identified. I mean, we have ancestry, we have jet match, we have all these things. People are looking for their roots. So there is a very high possibility if that's what happened, that she will still be found. Now, police say this is still an active investigation and they will continue to get leads and hopefully one of them pans out and we can bring Lisa home home to our family and you know hopefully one day we will have answers now there's just one thing I would like to say in all of these cases everybody always seems to have these theories about these child sex trafficking rings about these abductors coming in the middle of the night and taking children I see all of these TikToks about people showing um, these little tags on their car and somebody's targeting me to kidnap me and take me out. And let me tell you something. These things very rarely, this is not how these rings work. Most generally, that's not how these things are. Generally, these happen through grooming. These things happen through relationships that are established these things happen over a time period. I am coming to you not through a conspiracy theory. I am coming to you as someone who has seen this, who has seen this experience. Yes, there are those cases where somebody abducts a child because a situation was created. But let me just tell you, less than 1% of missing children get abducted by strangers. When it comes to all cases of children reported missing, less than 1% are taken by someone they don't know. The vast 91% of missing cases are runaways, as child kidnapping statistics show, while family abductions make up 5% of missing children. So unfortunately, in a lot of cases, children are harmed by the ones who are supposed to love and take care of them. I am not saying that's what happened in this case. But that happens in a lot of cases we have seen. And we have seen that end up being the story time and time again. I am just speaking from experience. I am speaking from somebody who has seen this happen over the years. I have seen true evil. I have seen somebody for 20 30 years play the where is my child please bring my child home I'm not saying that's what happened here but I've seen it
and it's terrifying and their child was in the backyard the whole time not saying that's this case but there are cases where that happens always keep an eye out for your children watch out for stranger abductions but please also watch your children at home listen to your children if somebody put out a TikTok recently that really got my attention when they said go put your pants on because uncle so-and-so is coming over and yeah he makes you feel uncomfortable if there is a family member who makes your child feel uncomfortable that family member shouldn't be coming over to your home as somebody who had a family member like that in their own home i made sure they were never allowed around my children my children never met this person and that person is now in prison Less than 1% of missing children get abducted by strangers. Watch for those who are also in your own backyard. Remember, our proceeds are going to collect funds in order to establish a missing persons billboard here in Wichita, Kansas. And also, if you're out for your walks this spring, if you're just walking through parks, any areas, rural areas, always be on the lookout. As the spring weather comes, more and more remains are being unearthed here in the state of Kansas or wherever you are. You would be surprised at what you can find. Let's work to bring the missing home. Thank you so much for listening. Be safe. We out.